Welcome to the IDC podcast. The IDC promotes independent research on antitrust and competition law and policy issues, being also the point of contact between all those who have a special interest in the area, both in Latin America and globally. You're muted, Nicolas. Good start. <laughs> Those are Pablo's jokes. He usually mute me when I am starting to talk, and that's something that you will see along other series of, of the IDC. So I want to welcome everybody. Today we have a very interesting uh, theme, uh, the presentation of the work of Professor Marsen and Professor Potson about restoring balance to digital competition, sens uh, sensible rules, effective enforcement. Um, the idea today is to have a, a, a presentation by Professor Marsen and then the comments by Professor Petsoso. Um, but first of all, I want to give Pablo uh, the microphone uh, to explain about the IDC and he wants to to share some images with us today. So, Pablo, go ahead. Thank you, Nicolas. Uh, for all those who it's the first time here, the IDC is just a, a, a place in which we want to promote discussions, independent discussion, and I stress the independency of the, of the Institute. Uh, obviously, on competition law and policy issues or related issues. Um, we don't have a venue, we don't have any physical venue. The idea is before the pandemic, uh, it, with the idea was to have a place that would be more virtual in order to be able to discuss more with other jurisdictions. And I think the COVID um, pandemic has also helped us uh, on this regard. Um, we do have a, a sort of an international advisory board in which I, we are very happy here to see some of them, Simon Holmes, uh, Larry Sorkin, Barry Hawk, Ian Forrester gave his, uh, his, 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 he cannot make it, but he's chairing another event today. Uh, Richard Wish, I don't see him, but he will be between us again. Uh, so that, that um, advisory board in a certain way helps us to sort of equalize our opinions and what we do. So we are very thankful to have them on board and to be, to be very active on, on our activities. Uh, we do also have uh, some chairs around the region. As you know, the IDC, I mean, was studied in Buenos Aires in Argentina, but we do have some chapters also in Chile, in uh, Colombia, in Mexico. Now we're starting a, a, a new activity in Peru. So the idea is to be a place for everybody. All the voices are here. Uh, we want all the voices to be heard. If there are some dissents, again, that's also welcome with respect, obviously. So I think uh, our idea again is to disseminate ideas and discuss and try to contribute to the independently, obviously, or to the discussion of the competition policy uh, issues. Uh, as Nicolas said, I do have some images, but honestly, they're just images. I won't say anything actually. I'm going for it <laughs> once. There it is. I mean, as this might all, all of us, all those who have practiced competition law might know what it is. I mean, the year 1890 is uh, its not a coincidence. The year of the Sherman Act, the Standard Oil, the Octopus, uh, 1904, uh, break up the Standard Oil, the, the, the one of the first cases uh, in, the, in the US. 
then just on the last century, 1970 something, welcome to the digital age. We see there on the top right, one of the cases, the first case of the digital world, IBM uh, against the US the government, 1975. Then we see this was the boss in the world. Uh, the, I mean, actually the CEO of Microsoft, Bill Gates, one of the person of the year, 1988-84. Then we see, again, 1997, uh, an investigation started by the US authorities. Uh, 1999, this was uh, the, the, the cover of uh, Time Magazine, and we chose the Time Magazine mainly this because there's a lots of images on, on these uh, people like Bill Gates, uh, Zuckerberg, etc. As we saw, obviously, after the, the case in the US, we also have that famous case in, in Europe on the Microsoft case uh, or the Microsoft saga. The world, just some years nearer us in 2017 we have all maybe saw this uh, cover the economist the new oil data uh, the person of the year that was not that long ago uh, only uh, 2010 and now if we see the cover of uh, the same magazine time uh, last year these are the comments on, on facebook uh, we've seen the discussions in the judiciary now we have as, as, as we think maybe as we speak we might have a decision on the facebook case by the FTC in the US. Uh, the OECD and many other organizations had also uh, raised the challenges we are living on, on this digital platforms world. This is a credit to Juan David Gutierrez, one of, also one of the members of the IDC, but it's mainly uh, the sources, maybe the OECD documents. And then one of our speakers today, uh, Simoneta Vestoso, she is taking the, the work of including all the reports that are being uh, published by authorities or institutions. Uh, here on the left, uh, I don't know if you see my pointer, but I mean, there we have what we're going to discuss today, restoring balance on digital competition. Just near that, there's another one of the UK unlocking digital competition or the Pullman report. Up there, we see the um, um, George Mason of the Global Antitrust Institute, I think is the, the last one published actually last Thursday. So with no further ado, the idea is today to discuss and to comment with one of the, his, its authors, uh, Philip Marson, the report uh, that they published uh, like some weeks ago. So Nicolas, that's all I have to say on my images. Thank you, Pablo. So basically this work uh, is a very interesting one. Uh, to do nothing is not an option. Uh, maybe ex post enforcement is not uh, sufficient. So here we have some proposals regarding uh, antitrust enforcement, competition law enforcement, and other privacy and consumer protection issues based on three principles, uh, basically freedom of competition, fairness of uh, intermediation, and sovereignty of decision-making. So with no further ado, I will uh, leave you with uh, Professor Philip Marsen, uh, who is a professor of law and economics at the College of Europe in Bruges, deputy chair of the Bank of England Enforcement Decision-Making Committee, and a case decision-maker for several UK regulators. He was a member of Her Majesty Treasury's Digital Competition Expert Panel, which produced the report Unlocking Digital Competition. So, uh, Professor Marsen, please go ahead. Thank you very much for joining us today.
great. Well, thanks uh, for having me, in. and it's great to see so many familiar faces, make some new friends. Um, and uh, I've put the report in the chat, and if you have had enough of listening to me in a few minutes, I've put some music in as well. Um, so, uh, as, as you mentioned, I was a member of the Furman panel in the UK, and so I won't rehash all of that, but one of my frustrations at the time in writing that report is we had a, a, quite a nice chapter, we thought, um, about how our proposals would be enforced. Um, and we intentionally decided not to publish that chapter uh, because at the time we were just trying to land the argument to move from ex-post antitrust enforcement to adding on a complementary um, regime of some relatively targeted um, rules to be enforced by a digital markets unit. Um, the rules and the code of conduct would apply to firms which we called had a strategic market status. And so for about a year after that, I, I engaged in some antitrust tourism. I, I came to visit many of you in uh, before lockdown. Um, the rest of the members of the panel all had young children, Jason Furman, uh, 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 Diane Coyle, Derek McCauley, Amelia Fletcher. Uh, my kids have grown up and gone away and come back again. And so I was more free to travel around. I was kindly invited to places and everywhere I went, amazingly um except you know some parts of the us um uh we received some praise for the report and interest in this idea and you see some of our ideas being taken up by uh by some governments um and uh the cma for example accepted all, almost all of our proposals except two um and then in the last week and a half or so the cma has accepted um, our proposals on merger control the ftc has has accepted our proposals on merger control tests changing and and so it's very heartening as an academic to, to to engage in a debate and see that some of the developments move along but um, we we were we were criticized by by some people, you know, most notably you know Bill Kavasik and others, uh, for not mentioning where this the, these rules should be enforced. Um, and 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 we did we didn't mention the where because then the headline at the time, if there was any at all, would be you know, Furman report says CMA needs new rules or. Ofcom needs new rules, or new regulator needs new rules, whatever, and it would, and everything would become about like, well, you know, is that regulator going to get captured? Is that regulator appropriate? Uh, what's the budget? Blah blah blah. Who's the CEO? All this stuff, none of which we were interested in. We wanted to just land the main message, which I which I think we did, and and Simonetta's fantastic slide of all these extra reports um, have, have 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 landed that message of moving to some some form of ex ante regulation. Um, there are some uh, critics still out there, of course, um, who still say this is mad socialism, uh, crazy, can't possibly be enforced, let alone by a small island off the French coast, um, such as the UK. So um, uh, we started thinking also about, well, well, where would it be enforced? And this is what Ruprecht Fodson and I wrote about last month. Um, we wrote the report that uh, you have in the chat now uh, under the auspices of the German presidency of the European Union, as you'll know, the Digital Markets Act will be proposed on, on December 9th. Um, it will have two pillars, which is a new competition tool, which is essentially a copy of the British market investigations regime. And, and it will have uh, ex ante rules, a blacklist, a gray list, a white list, do's and don'ts. Um, and this is what we wanted to explore in our report. So we're writing it in the context of the German presidency, but knowing full well that, you know, after a few months, the Portuguese take over. And then when the Digital Markets Act actually gets passed, it will be the French who will be responsible. 
And we wanted to contribute to that sort of European discussion, but also, you know, an international discussion. So, so to get to what we actually said in our, in our report, Ruprecht and I were saying, well, look, the European Commission in particular, and we target our report at the European Commission, but we hope it would have some broader relevance in many of your jurisdictions to the extent that you might be thinking about moving in some way to a complementary ex-ante regime um, and maybe changing some aspects of antitrust and merger control. But so, so I will be using a lot of Euro wording, but we, we hope it might have some resonance in other countries. So, so clearly the European Commission is stepping up its efforts to come up with these new regulations. Uh, they've leaked and, and probably almost all of you have a <laughs> copy of the leak um, of the blacklist and, and, the, and the do's and don'ts and the structure that's been set up. Um, and this is a, a new regulatory regime for digital gatekeepers. Um, you know, EVP Margarita Vestager has proposed the new competition tool and some form of ex-ante regulation for platforms. And what Ruprecht and I were trying to do is say, well, look, when you're thinking about the rules, we know that for the next year or two, the parliament is going to debate everything, every adjective, every semicolon, you know, what is self-preferencing? What is unfair self-preferencing? Should it be anti-competitive self-preferencing? Should it be distorting self-preferencing? You know, what bodies should be subject to these rules? Are they bodies with uh, uh, strategic market status? Should they be systemic is the current wording? You know, uh, what, what is a gatekeeper? All of this will be debated and, and it rightly should be. Um, but we also thought, well, look, you know, when you look back at the Sherman Act and, and the Canadian Competition Act and the European Treaties of Rome, they're not very detailed at all. The, the detail comes in the case law, it comes in the regulatory guidance, it comes in, in practice. And we thought maybe it's, it's perhaps more helpful to, to set out some rules, which we, which we humbly call sensible rules in our report. Um, but really we focus in the majority of our report on how is this going to be enforced and what kind of collaboration amongst the various entities, um, in particular at the European level, would be needed. Um, and so we were asking, you know, look, our previous reports, Furman, Stigler, the rest, the CMA digital advertising study with fantastic annexes about the code of conduct and, and, uh, and what is, a, what is a, a company with strategic market status. These have all set out the, the why, um, and we wanted to move on to the how. So how do we design these new tools and regulation to correct market failures in relation to digital platforms before the abuses of market power happen? Appreciate that's a big existential leap for many people because they'll say, wait a minute, we, should, we shouldn't do anything until there's been an infringement. Um, but we're saying uh, clearly the, the political movement is to try to do something prophylactic, something preventative in some ways. Um, how do we reset the balance so that genuine innovation and choice prevail and that all businesses still have an equal opportunity to compete in the marketplace? And how do we ensure that the best product wins, not just the platform that offers it, no matter how good that platform may be? So um, as Nicholas mentioned, we had three principles that guide our rules, freedom of competition, fairness of intermediation, and the sovereignty of economic actors to take their decisions autonomously. And that includes you as users. Um, uh, these principles were you know, uh, described by us intentionally as having in a, the European context, a constitutional character. You know, in, in, in many ways, you know, we think of the work of, of, of many scholars, Simon Holmes and others that remind us that the, the treaty and certain principles in the treaty have a constitutional nature. It is not just some sort of dry area of economic law we're talking about. Um, it is that, but it's not just that. There's some deeper aspects here within competition law. Um, and that should be the foundation of the, the inevitable European regulation here. There, there will be a re European regulation. And so let's focus all of the intelligence in this area, to the extent that anybody cares, on the how 
not fighting on about, you know, is this socialism or, or not, you know, it's going to happen. So let's make sure that it's done well. Um, so those are our principles. Um, but for the most part, we, we, you know, we talk about enforcement, but I'll say a few things about the rules. I mean, our rules, our do's and don'ts, they set out primarily obligations um, or do's on platforms. Um, and then we have some don'ts. So even though the current leak, um, uh, leaked document by the commission, and I'm sure the inevitable uh, uh, document will be mainly on don'ts, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Um, we actually thought it might be more interesting to talk about some do's, things that they should do as positive obligations as gatekeepers. Um, uh, and then with respect to that, that related to platform openness, you know, uh, obligations of neutrality, um, obligations of interoperability with some limiting principles, um, obligations relating to non-discrimination, fair terms, um, the ability to control algorithmic decisions, access to justice, motherhood, apple pie, um, uh, all these sorts of things. Um, but we also had some some don'ts as well, which is relating primarily to certain degrees of, um, of denial of uh, the ability to multi-home, um, uh, denial of, of, of a fair opportunity to, to appear on a screen um, due to some form of self-preferencing. And we did agonize a little bit about the wording in our document about self-preferencing. So I welcome you to look at that. And we had some defenses that we put in there. But, but those, those are the rules and, 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 and there'll be many, many options and academic debate and parliamentary debate about the rules themselves. But as I say, the main, main point I want to focus on today and, and in this report is the enforcement. So we felt, you know, what institutional design do we need? How do we enforce these rules? You know, to us, that's the core of the whole debate because it also affects what rules you choose. Can you get away with general do's and don'ts or do you have to be really specific, really, really specific? And how specific can you be when the platforms have many different business models, communications, commerce platforms, some are aggregators, some are true platforms, some aren't platforms at all. Some are platforms you wouldn't be that concerned about, you don't think, but maybe maybe you should be, you know, and th these kinds of principles that we, we, we discuss try to differentiate among some of those, but mainly we felt that the commission's proposal to have um, a new market investigations regime would help us identify some of the problems that are coming up um, and, and, and also help apply this so we foresee that obviously that the commission will be able to trigger market investigations. We we support this this new competition tool. Um, I do still think that the political will is strong enough for Margaret Vastaya to to get this new competition tool. Um, they weren't that interested in it 15 years ago. They're very interested in it now. Um, if they don't get it, then they'll end up with the ex ante regulation, and I think that would be a shame. I feel they need the regulation and they need the ability to conduct evidential uh, and strong evidential inquiries um, as well, rather than just moving to a pure uh, regulatory regime. So, so we recognize that, you know, those kinds of market investigations, you know, I, I feel from my experience at the CMA, you know, um, do really need to have strict timelines, very transparent and open processes, strong order making powers and obviously appeal rights. Um, and and, and uh, we can talk about that a little bit more, but you know, I was honored to be part of the, the retail banking inquiry in the UK that came up with the open banking orders, which you know, when the UK does market investigations, it, it, it ends up creating for the sector it's looking at ex-ante regulation, all right? There's, there's no question, this is not antitrust enforcement. And so if you're looking at ex-ante regulation in our banking inquiry, we, we mandated open APIs, data portability, um, and a range of other measures, including digital sandboxes. Um, and, and we had remedies that we hoped would go with the grain of technological developments, not just do what the politicians 
really exerted a lot of pressure on, on the inquiry team to, to, to do, and we ignored this pressure, but it was to break up the bank. Um, and, and you see in many countries this, this political pressure to break up the platforms. And in our Furman report and in, in the report Ruprex and I did, we, we don't really talk about breakups that much. We don't think that that's necessarily um, uh, helpful in this area, um, uh, but we think that some behavioral changes, these rules would be, would be quite helpful. We propose that the commission would create a new, what we call an early alert unit, it could be something else, but it would be formed within the competition authority, DG Comp, to, market, uh, to monitor market developments, particularly movements to what we call unnatural tipping. Okay, and we can talk about that if you like, a bit about what's natural and what's not. Um, but, but the commissioner does have a big concern right now about unnatural tipping. Um, I think she might have a concern about tipping generally. I think that would be misguided. Is tipping is a function of certain markets with network effects. Um, but we felt that if there was a degree of unnatural tipping, for example, the, the platform has gained an advan advantage by breaking some of the ex-ante rules um, uh, and preventing multi-homing and preventing access to data and, 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 and doing bizarre self-preferencing in an anti-competitive way, then therefore that would be something that we would, we would be concerned about. Um, and that unit, uh, the early alert unit, would report, particularly to COMP, um, about when this market investigation tool should be deployed, but also it would have a strong liaison function with DG Connect, who are, is the regulator responsible for the new rules, um, and they would be the ones who we foresee having a platform compliance unit within DG Connect, which would be formed to ensure that the new rules remain fit for purpose, given such market developments. Um, whatever the European Parliament comes up with in terms of the wording of the rules, they have to be applied. And we feel that compliance unit would be responsible for that. Um, it would be responsible for interpreting the rules, the scope of the application, and the two units, the early alert unit and the platform compliance unit, Comp and Connect, would work together closely to ensure the effective application of the new rules, including issuing guidance um, and, and other things. We also, and I'll mention this in a bit, we also uh, propose a platform complaints panel that would deal swiftly and independently with private complaints of violations of the rules, um, especially including access to data. And I think almost every report I've read, uh, except for, for, for one by George, George Mason, has proposed uh, some form of private adjudicative mechanism to ensure that the, the, the rules have some teeth. So, so we recognize that in this sector, effective enforcement has to keep pace with market dynamics. It requires sensible and flexible rules. You know, and our study, our report, you know, um, was written, you know, with being well aware of the movement to enact a digital markets act and to create a new competition tool. And 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 and, and we planted our our suggestions, recognizing also the institutional structures in in Europe, which are very siloed. You know, and we want to argue for much more collaboration between DG Comp and DG Connect, and also with the national authorities through the European uh, Competition Network, uh, to ensure that this, this, these uh, regulations are applied in an evidence-based way. And so, um, I, hopefully, some of those those points are really just motherhood and apple pie issues, and they're, they're not saying they're easy, but they're, uh, they're they're things that I think any any jurisdiction, regional grouping, you know, would be interested in try, hopefully applying um, to ensure that these are these are not rules that are frozen in aspic that that don't apply as markets evolve that become out of date or indeed that uh, that, that in some way chill uh, innovation so uh, i'll close with just a sort of a, a case study um, sort of the, of an interplay um, what we would see is that you know um, the early alert unit would identify the cause of tipping markets and identify if that was natural through superior skill foresight and industry or whether there was a predominance 
of, of these uh, these uh, prohibitions. Um, and you know, a lot of players made lately of various Google cases around the world that you know they they relied quite heavily on a degree of exclusivity and payments for data. Um, you know, anybody who knows anything about vertical agreements knows that these are not per se illegal in most countries. Um, but they, but the 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 predominance or the preponderance of the exclusivity is actually a concern under European law in many sectors. Um, uh, the degree to which it contributes to a substantial foreclosure and then a, and then an SLC, a substantial lessening of competition. So, so that is an aspect where we would we would argue that it be looked at, and that the pro-competitive and anti-competitive aspects of those exclusivity provisions, uh, you know, be be assessed to see the degree to which they contribute to that kind of tipping. And then we see whether a market investigation is warranted. We'd have a timeline, you know, it, you know, ideally, you know, 18 months or or 24 months to uh, like the UK uh, schedule. That people will say, well, that's so long, you know, when you compare it to antitrust. That is not a long period of time. Okay, that is very, very quick to do something like this, um, and it would be an open, transparent uh, uh, process with multi-party hearings. I'm a big fan of multi-party hearings. European Commission isn't right now. I hope they move towards multi-party. Uh, in the banking inquiry, we found that uh, it was much better to have all the banks and the challenger banks in the room uh, when we were discussing the, remedi the remedies that were needed, because then you know there was a lot less posturing and, and frankly, uh, you know, just rubbish being thrown at the panel. We could actually discuss, you know, what remedies were possible that the incumbents could offer and what what, what remedies would help the entrants. So um, the role of this early alert unit we propose, you know, is, is like an investigatory arm of DG Connect's platform compliance unit. So it's based in comp, but it's an evidence-based unit that is actually assessing whether, hey, have markets tipped to a certain degree because of violations of the rules? What should we, what should we do about that? And so what we would say is the early alert unit is it recommends a market investigation, but it also says, well, wait a minute, if we think that some of the behavior violated the, the digital regulations, you know, and that's contributing to the platform's growth, and then a potential unnatural tipping of the market, then the solution is actually not to have a two-year market investigation, but the, the tool, it, it, instead it's to engage the platform compliance unit right right away you know with with assessing what you know what what are these violations if there's a there's a violation of a blacklist uh, rule then then something has to be done right away and so that means that if you might uh, avoid the rationale in some cases for a market investigation and it's it's you know albeit year to year delay but uh but you still might be able to have some some worthwhile remedies in a, in a prophylactic way the operating principle of our report is to remedy pro uh, problems ex as expeditiously as, as possible um, through mandating compliance with the rules and to enable those quick measures, you know, an appeal, you know, is uh, against um, such a compliance order, you know, we would say should not have a suspensive effect, you know, um, unless uh, a court decides that it should have suspensive effect. And so it's, you know, the, the, the predominance should be, no, actually, no, we're going to begin some sort of interim action here and uh, and the, the usual rules of, of appellate re review would apply but but we feel there's enough political will here to to not allow sort of nine years 12 years of, of uh, appeals before you have some suspensive effect and frankly when you look at some of the innovations and some of the exclusivities some of the payments some of the uh, other odd con conduct that we're looking at in the platform market on the margin you know uh, I think you know there, there's no there's clear justification that you can ask for a brief pause of some of this conduct while you assess uh, whether it's a, it's violating the rules or not, rather than just letting it run on until it extinguishes all competition. I appreciate people might freak out at that, 
but um, but I think in some cases it's it's clearly been proved that a short delay, a short pause of some of this conduct is not necessarily going to make the sky falling. Um, so the early alert unit, I'll close with this, you know, can propose new rules for the platform compliance unit to then engage with and 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 put guidance out about. But they, you know, it would it would cooperate with national competition agencies. Ideally, you would have you know retired judges and others on the panel, national experts on the panel to do market investigations. Um, but the actual monitoring of the rules themselves would be done by this platform compliance unit in a kind of a supervisory function. You know, and as Nicholas mentioned, you know, I sit on you know energy regulator uh, competition cases, financial conduct authority competition cases, payment systems regulated cases. I deputy chair at the Bank of England. We do cases all the time. We have a supervisory function, an enforcement function, and an adjudicative function. The world doesn't fall in, and the markets that I am honored to, to look at in my current incarnation are, are pretty sensitive markets, and, and the world hasn't uh, fallen apart because we have these supervisory and enforcement and adjudication functions, and I think they'd apply reasonably well to the, to the tech platform market. So my final word is about the platform complaints panel. We suggest introducing panel that works like an arbitration mechanism or an ombudsman you know, for users of platforms. Um, and so it would draw on independent adjudicators, um, ideally with experience in the sectors uh, affected. It would offer a rapid remedy for clear violations um, that have been proven. We've asked for a quick remedy um, uh, for those who want to stop certain practices by the, the platform operator at a fast pace. Um, but we would not leave this, this aspect of it to the public judiciary, with all respect to the judges on the call, um, and we would not leave it to the platform compliance unit. We would have an actual, you know, uh, an enforcement unit um, that that moves on from the the supervisory of the compliance case. You see this in in, in many sectors, so it's, this is nothing really that that earth shaking. Um, we would recommend that this panel uh, that is assigned to each case is independent, um, and we would recommend that certain platforms of a particular status. Um, are, are subjected to submitting to this panel um, and that standing panel of independent adjudicators will be supported by staff from, from DG Connect and perhaps Comp, um, but it will have clear powers to, to make remedial orders um, and, and we recommend, we'll see what you think uh, as I finish, we recommend relying on a paper-based adjudication mechanism with strict timelines with the only operating principle being to identify whether the platform is in violation of the rules. It's, I, we identify any objective justifications, defenses, and then we order corrective mes mes uh, measures if necessary to restore competition. Um, uh, we're not really proposing fines as the primary remedy. We're proposing behavioral changes, you know, um, orders to, to allow our data to be accessed, um, you know, banning certain forms of exclusivity, these sorts of things. Um, they'd be time-limited remedies, um, but we would propose fines for violations of our orders. Okay? And then we would allow, obviously, full merits appeal, um, but we would have a strong recommendation that this be necessarily swift. And, and in the, the original tradition of, of the Competition Appeals Tribunal in the UK, um, uh, which was you know, to have uh, quite a swift uh, appeal mechanism. And so otherwise, you know, you're just, we're just creating something that duplicates the existing system, which doesn't work at all. And we can talk, if you like, about how ineffective I feel some of the digital remedies have been and how delayed they've been. Um, so um, that's, the, that's the proposal in a nutshell. Um, it, it's an es essentially proposing an effective enforcement mechanism. One of the reasons we inserted it into the debate at this stage is we wanted to make sure that the bureaucrats who are busy drafting the rules right now have that in mind 
you know that this has to be enforced this is some, isn't something that you just deliver a draft uh, legislation on December 9th and then you kick back you've got to think about how is this going to be enforced and so you know we're not necessarily suggesting that that ours is the, the best suggestion or anything we want but we wanted to be part of the debate they're just ideas you know they're not a final conclusion you know it's, it's what we discussed you know a lot over the summer Ruprecht and I um, over zoom um, but um, we wanted to use it so that the debate would start focusing on this rather than just the, the you know what we think is interesting but not the crux of it which is you know what adjective should go in front of the word self-referencing you know um, it should it be unfair distortive or anti-competitive that's that that is not that interesting for us it's how is that interpreted how do we work out um, when in a particular case something has violated the rules and then we build the guidance. Um, so I welcome uh, uh, comments. I'm really looking to forward to hearing what Simonetta and others have to have to say. Uh, we're just trying to contribute to the debate. Um, uh, during the course of our report, we were very grateful for critiques we had from various uh, European institutional readers and, uh, and we're, we're uh, pleased that it's out there and, and hopefully will be discussed and at the very least, um, at least not ignored. Thanks. Thank you very much, uh, Philip. Uh, it's very interesting this kind of real-time enforcement or study as things are happening. Um, now I want to give uh, the microphone to Professor Simonetta Vezzoso. Uh, she's a professor of competition policy and intellectual property uh, and a senior researcher of Universidad di Trento. Uh, Simonetta, please go ahead. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Nicolas. Thank you so much, Pablo, and the Instituto de Derecho de la Competencia for this much unexpected and digital soul-steering invitation, I would say, and opportunity to provide some comments on Philips and Ruprecht's precious and hopefully auspicious report. Well, as you, as Pablo has already shown us, uh, the last two years have seen, uh, has witnessed the flourishing of a new literary genre in our field, that is, the, uh, and especially under. Wind, but of course, good competition policy solution in the digital age are very difficult to find, as the sheer number of reports shows us. So my question here, um, and what I'm, I've been thinking about is how does this report, so the Marston Potson report, stand out from these highly qualified competitors, you might ask, and I have been asking myself. So, so the uh, author themselves, and actually Philip just recalled it now, uh, say, quote, the ideas sketched in this paper are just that, ideas, they do not represent a final conclusion, but they are an invitation to discuss. Okay. And what? Let's do it. In a nutshell, if you ask me, no good, bad, and ugly in this report, not the three categories that apply, but terrific, fascinating, and well, the interesting. Okay, and that is really the UK uh, way of putting it. So let's start from the terrific. So terrific one, of course, the clear, loud message that relying on ex-post law enforcement is insufficient. We urgently need new rules, new institutional capabilities to guarantee effective enforcement. Okay, that's wonderful. The platform economy needs new, but still sensible, and then we will get back to that, and more effective enforcement. Unquote, great. So that was terrific number one. Second, uh, there will be 
that this report has sought this, actually Philip just reminded it, restored my faith in a much needed, less technocratic and more principle-based pro-competition policy for the digital age. That is something that we lost the last 20 years. And then the authors considered that, quote, the new rules should be based on three principles, Philip just reminded them, freedom of competition, fairness of intimidation, and sovereignty of economic actors. They do not simply select them for their relevance, but describe them, as reminded right now, uh, in constitutional language, because they believe they are really fundamentally important and they should not just be a part of fair trading or consumer protection rules. They should be enshrined in what they propose, so the EU platform framework. Great. That was terrific number two. So the third terrific for me is the, that it relates to the second one, is zooming in on the sovereignty of economic actors to take their decisions autonomously. This is a truly terrific aspect of the report. It aims to ensure that consumers are not digital serfs, okay? They are not just inputs into tech giants' offerings, but instead are the king and queens of the competitive marketplace. And that's something that we need to repeat and repeat and repeat, especially in digital age. So users merit a particular respect as human beings, not simply a, a datafied object that can be easily exploited. And that in for, it, it includes an interesting aspect of rules that should respect privacy, perhaps even beyond the, the G, GDPR to some extent. And I find it really uh, quite interesting. It has to do, of course, with the, what the German Federal Court of Justice just reminded us, the need of informational self-determinations, how it plays out, that's really one. So consumers should be given a choice. An example of no choice, uh, Philip just referred to introduction of payment service. <laughs> okay, take it or leave it. And then it's not, it's choice, this one. So we should really think about choice, what it means, and then keep it simple. I think this is a very important message here, again, from the Facebook case to some extent, the, from the decision of the Supreme Court, uh, uh, German Supreme Federal Court of Justice. Again, don't put services on top of it, and then the consumers have to take all of it. They should be really, I mean, what about choice in the, in the digital age? So that was terrific number three. Terrific number four. Uh, leave policy choices to politicians, okay? Or to people we have elected, okay? So that is the, the level of, definitely, when we think of participative antitrust, we should get to the point perhaps of enforcement, something that Philip just referred to with the banking sector. So involve them in the enforcement part of it. But what about rules? Rules should be set by politicians, by our legislator. They should not be decided by platforms, okay? And then in the, the way you enforce them, yes, okay, they should play a role. But as they say, they should not be a tea party discussion to delay real implementation. I think that's very important. And then let's move to the fascinating, okay? So the fascinating of the report, this report. So the first one, it's quite admirable that the authors do not fear getting their hands dirty in thinking about the details. Okay, aiming quote a pragmatic aiming at a quote a pragmatic and implementable framework for use of the new competition tool by the directorate, the Digicom, DigiConnect, and then also of course the new competition tool, how it works. Philip has reminded us now of the details. I like, of course, I love the idea of the new early alerts unit, 
um, to monitor market developments. Okay, we'll go back to that a little bit later, and that's, uh, that's absolutely necessary in this framework. Uh, and then um, uh, something that I like related to that, that also they stress the, institu the institutional framework should be such that they can, so, so that uh, um, it's not out of touch with the, the uh, essential aims of this commission that we're building the digital single market and unleashing the power of digital innovation. It's a broad framework that we should consider. And there is quite a lot about the relationship between the different directories. So I understand it's important to deal with it because I think they are quarreling with quite a lot at the moment. That is my impression of perhaps they are not coming to a solution. There is something which I miss a little bit there. I know there is it's a complicated structure, but somehow I would have quite liked to see there some words of possible involvement also by other institutions at the EU level. And of course, I'm thinking of the uh, European Data Protection Board, perhaps even the Consumer Protection Cooperation Network somehow involved. So less a, a, a question of clusters and perhaps more a question of networks even at the European level. I know it's it's uh, perhaps a, a science fiction, but I think it's very important to discuss it. So uh, that would be a fascinating one. Fascinating two, uh, I think there is the need to think of a stronger involvement of national uh, authorities. I'm not saying which one, <laughs> I'm not saying competition authority or regulator, telegram, I don't say, but definitely not only at the level of enforcement, as in the report is suggested, but also definitely at least at the level of monitoring. Okay, so a big alerts unit decentralized. I think this is really key. Um, there are already some models there. Then, um, uh, fascinating three, uh, the fact that they really stress that they should be new rules. Okay, so the relevant, so how do is self-preference, is this the same as in the shopping case or should, should we perhaps think of a more promising concept uh, which looks into the future? So it's not, you should not just uh, be stuck to what we have seen so far because after a while, I mean, it's uh, it's already outdated. It's quite clear because those are uh, clever guys. They think of new strategies and uh, uh, things uh, every new day. So definitely, okay, reference, but look beyond that. Okay, it's not just the case law that should influence us. I think this is very important because otherwise they say that would petrify in a short period what we have. Okay, uh, so another uh, important, so there will be uh, fascinating four, uh, that the, they stress the importance of leveling the regulatory playing field. And this is something that I would have liked to see a little bit more perhaps uh, um, explained in the sense that there is a huge uh, problem there of asymmetric power between the tech giants on the one hand, hand and the government and the politicians and the forces on the other. So somehow, perhaps we have to think creatively, creatively also there, providing new flows of data. I don't know, I, I don't know, but somehow we should think, I'm not sure that the sandboxing is, is a good idea in every possible source, but we should think of different tools, but be a little bit more creative in the sense because there is a huge power asymmetry uh, issue there. So, and then I have a, a final remark, um, and that would be on the interesting, okay, the interesting. Well, my question is, 
even though I recognize it's totally progressively wonderful, the best that we can, uh, we can read about the how, I'm asking myself whether it goes far enough. Okay, I really have this question mark. I have, I have no comment, just a big question here. As the poet would say, we should screw our courage to the sticking place and perhaps be a little bit more uh, creative, perhaps take arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them, okay? We should go that direction perhaps. So there is a, the need to tackle structural power imbalances with urgency. So, I don't know, perhaps we need a little bit more regulation there. And perhaps we need a little bit more monitoring. Perhaps we need uh, somebody dealing, uh, each platform should have its own <laughs> regulator. So we have really some clear issues. We have those GAFA, okay? Uh, and then perhaps we, we need a little bit more. Uh, so perhaps we need, because we haven't touched up on it, but what the authors are suggesting is actually a sort of symmetric regulation with some parts more for the rest. I totally agree we need platform regulation in some form. What we have in the uh, platform to business regulation is not enough. It's transparency, that is not enough, definitely. But I think that apart from that, we need, yes, ex anti asymmetric information. Go for it. Tailor remedies uh, uh, towards uh, specific structural digital platforms. I don't know. So somehow I, I'm, I'm not sure. So it's, uh, it's open for discussion here. And the thing is, we really need somebody looking at them day by day. So we need a really a day by day interactions with them. So they 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 need to have a big uh, toolkit, uh, possible things to do. But we need the real time regulation. We need to do perhaps even something proposed already regulation by data. So perhaps the regulator getting so much data and then taking out the information and making the information available to everybody else. So being creative also in that respect. So that would be my, I think, yes, no. My very last point is that, of course, we need to be realistic. Uh, it's very important that the European Commission and the different authorities, national authorities, sort of show a united front because uh, lobbyists are going to exploit all possible cracks they see. So that's a very important point. So that's uh, somehow, I don't know how the miracle is going to happen, but somehow, yes, it should be presented as a united front when we have the proposal or working on the proposal. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Simonetta. Uh, thanks for, for joining us and thanks for your comments. Uh, very valuable indeed. Uh, we have some some questions from the from the audience. Uh, the first one would be Simon Holmes. Uh, but first, before we go to the judge, uh, Philip, do you have any reaction? Uh, and while we continue the, the, the discussion, uh, might not be easy for you. But I mean, if you can actually also think about Latin American authorities on the comments, whatever you know from the region, because obviously uh, the discussions might be the same, but they are definitely different on, on these uh, latitudes. We do also have the GAFAMs and might be other players, but I mean, uh, again, uh, Philip, if you have any reaction and if you, any of you could definitely uh, include Latin America in your thoughts, that would also be very valuable for us. Philip? 
Yeah, I'll th I'll thank you. And thank you very much, Simonetta, for the, the comments. I'll, you know, I'll just be very brief. You know, I've enjoyed all, all my travels through, through Latin America and talking to the various competition authorities and, and, and judges. And, and indeed, you know, you're struggling with many of the same problems that, 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 that the other countries are. You know, the, the, many of the points that come up occasionally, though, I hear are, I, I heard, you know, in particular sometimes is, well, you know, we know what we're doing. Antitrust is good enough, you know, uh, CADE in Brazil had Google cases, but, you know, and, and uh, we can handle this um, and, and, and this kind of thing. And, and, that, and that's fine. But, you know, even though, you know, I started out as a prosecutor at the Department of Justice in, in Canada. Um, and so, you know, it took me a long time to decide that, you know, I, it, actually, you know, the Furman proposals that we made might be needed because I really felt that if we could just speed up prosecutions um, in any jurisdiction, then that would be enough, you know, like that. And, and that as long as we were looking at potential competition, dynamic theories of harm, um, and our investigations were comprehensive enough, that would be, that would be enough. And so, that, you know, to, to, to look at it in a sort of a Latin American context or other contexts, I just, I just sense a degree to which uh, some countries are just, are just not there yet in terms of recognizing that the nature of these markets, these markets, like some other sectors, is such that sometimes the problem isn't really an antitrust problem. The problem is, is a kind of a structural problem through the network effects and the, the inevitable winner-takes-it-all nature of these markets means that there is an imbalance of power. So what you see in some jurisdictions is instead of dialing up antitrust, they're dialing up, you know, um, uh, unavoidable trading partner uh, provisions, um, consumer protection provisions relating to um, economic dependency, uh, terms and conditions, those kinds of things, which can which can work as well. And in a sense, and I'll close with this: the, the conduct that we're looking at in our proposals in Furman or in this report, a lot of them are kind of fair trading type principles. Um, it's just that we feel that the enforcement model is not best left with the the existing ex post. Uh, regime and that we have to have some rules that, that change the nature of the of the game in the first place um, and that when we move to ex post uh, review of the rules though and the adjudicative mechanism and, and, and appeals you know we're, we're nevertheless having a, a focus on you know due process definitely but also a, a, a concept that you know the justice delayed is justice denied and and uh, when you're looking at a, a regime of a clear blacklist clear offense and that's all you're looking at is is that conduct an offense yes then you might not necessarily need 12 years of appeals to work that out in a full merits appeal uh, uh review to provide that due process and fairness so you could have quicker quicker appeals but open to questions all, all welcome to everything thank you thank you philip uh talking about i'm uh, following your comments uh, on appeals uh simon holmes uh, the judge from the uh, competition appeals for you know the uk has actually a specific question on that simon hi thanks uh, philip great overview yes indeed my question is on the uh, judicial side i felt almost obliged to ask a question in this area wearing my um, cat hat you said that you would envisage a full merits appeal from the Platform Complaints Committee, but you'd like it to be quick, as was envisaged for the Competition Appeal Tribunal in the UK, reflecting, of course, the need for speed in tech. And as you said, justice delayed is justice denied. But I just wonder how realistic that is in, a, in an EU context. I would have assumed the appeal would have gone to the General Court, where there are huge delays. Uh, is it correct that you'd see it going to the General Court or to somewhere else, or would you need perhaps envisage a special chamber there or special rules and of course that's been proposed for years in the context of competition and antitrust 
without any success. So why should it be any more successful here than it was for competition law? No, excellent, excellent point, Simon. Yeah. So um, with respect to uh, there's two there's two parts of the, the appeal in our in our uh, report, the the decision to launch a market investigation and the decision on what is the result of the market investigation, we, we propose to have a JR standard, a judicial review standard, as in the UK. Um, yeah. And even though, um, and that's primarily because, you know, it, 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 it's, it is, it's a full and open inquiry in the UK, time-based, uh, independent panel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And finding of infringement of the law. And so we feel that JR is enough. Um, yeah. and that uh, even though you, uh, a breakup order or something else, some sort of internal divestiture order on a platform might, might seem to be a really strong remedy, um, it nevertheless doesn't doesn't require substantive uh, full merits appeal. And so that's, that's that part of it. The part you're talking about, you're absolutely right. We, we, we have decided, that, you know, yes, we'll come down on the side of having substantive full merits appeals, despite the problems you're, you're, you're alleging. Um, and, and, I, and I agree with them that the European system is, 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 as we've heard lately from the, the latest UK judge to leave the European court, you know, is mired in delays, um, even though COVID has reduced its workload a bit. Um, I, I, we, I would love there to be some sort of chamber if there, if there could be for, for, for handling the, the, the appeals from this, these kind of code violations. These are not violations of competition law that we're talking about. It's a new code, new rules, blacklist, um, no economic evidence to be submitted, um, and 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 people might rail against this and say, "Oh, you're introducing per se rules and object rules, and therefore you know you need you need to have a degree of economic evidence." And we're saying, "Well, you know, there, there might need to be some on the margins." I understand that, but really, what we're talking about is, in the words of Advocate General Cacotte, you know, these are speeding offences, these are drunk driving offences, you know, and so therefore we hope. That the Parliament and the European Commission itself and the institutions can recognise that um, it, it is not warranted to put these kinds of cases into this mired, delayed uh, appeal system at, at the European level. Ideally, if it could go straight to the ECJ, then great, rather than the General Court. But you know that that, that kind of aspect is what we would encourage, um, appreciating that you know, that itself is a big ask. You know, I've been banging on for 20 years. Huge ask. <laughs> for 20 years for their for dissents you know why can we not after 60 years uh feel that the acquis communitaire in europe uh, can handle you know dissents and all the judges always come back and go you can never possibly have a dissent at the european court i totally disagree with that um and 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 so we can't even get dissents so i appreciate changing the appeal system or adding a complementary slightly speedier track to resolve these disputes is, is a big ask but um but for me you know, we do these things because they're difficult, right? You know, and so, you know, the, 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 when, when people come back at me and go, that's going to be impossible, it's never going to work. Great, let's find a workaround. Let's do something because if we don't, something much worse is going to come. You know, the greatest critics I've had have, uh, have uh, without the, the, the report and, and the previous one, Furman, um, uh, don't recognize that if we just li rely on ex post enforcement, you know, the European auditor's report today coming out again saying everything's too slow, that will just bolster the voices for much, much stronger regulation. And you might see some of the crazy stuff that's coming out of India with banning Walmart and Amazon from selling their own products on their own websites, which is just price raising to the middle class and protectionist of the of the, uh, the entity called Reliance there. Um, very scary regulatory involvement. And, and final thing, these suggestions, just like the market investigations regime in the UK, as you know, they're like a pressure valve. 
so that that political movement to just break everybody up or just just draft crazy regulations that haven't been means tested or had any impact assessment um that so that pressure goes away um and so it, appreciating we'll always have critics that we haven't done enough but at the same time you know i know we have critics who say this goes way too far and i just hope that it's, somehow we can come to some understanding that at the very least when you've got a paper-based adjudication mechanism looking at blacklist practices you do not need to send it into a system that takes five years to to work out the appeal Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Philip. Uh, I think, I mean, we are trying to be sort of tight to our timing. We try to make it not more than an hour. We are Latin American, as the Italians, we would love to discuss maybe for ages and hours. Uh, but uh, honestly, it's lunchtime here. I think it's dinner time over there. So uh, thank you very, very much again, Philip, uh, Simonetta, and all the audience. This is an ongoing discussion. I think this will not be the, the last discussion of the IDC regarding these issues. Actually, next week, we're having maybe a, quite a very different view on these issues because we're having Shosha Wright, uh, Alexander Cordero from Kaji, who will present their own view on their report on the Global Antitrust Institute published uh, last week. So you're definitely all more than invited to continue the discussion and the and the, and, the, and the discussion of ideas as we said at the beginning. Uh, Nico, I don't know if you have anything to say, but before you take the, the floor again, Philip, it's always a pleasure to, to, to hear, to listen to your comments. Uh, Simonetta, it's great to have you on the, at the IDC. And Philip, you promised that you would sing. I don't know if Nicolas could maybe convince you. Nicolas? Uh, yeah, actually, some people say that Philip might be Eminem, so I don't know if we can live, if you're going to, to, to sing today, Philip, but I just wanted to thank you and to thank everybody so for, for staying with us today and, and we look forward to see you again in, in other discussions. Thank you very much. I'm not going to sing, but we are all prisoners of our own device. <laughs> all I'll say, you can hum the rest of it. So let's make sure that we're not prisoners, but we're instead we're kings and queens. Okay, we, what we'll do is we will share your video of the chilling competition with the video of this activity so everybody can have their own, uh, your, your song there. Well, thank you very much. Again, Philip, Simonetta, all the audience, thanks for thank you you. joining us. See you next time. Thank you, Philip. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> thank, you. Gracias. thank you. Gracias. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.